Hey, good morning again, Rock Hill. I didn't see this beforehand, but I think Bernie's joined us on the stage this morning. We're about to have revival, I think. If you're joining us online, welcome. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Uh, a point of personal privilege on a couple of things. Number one, uh, thank you for letting my wife and I be at our pastor and wife retreat. It was incredible for us in comfort. Texas, we are grateful for it. Have men and women who have just walked with us through many hard things and good things together. Second, uh, 40 days before Easter is coming quickly. On February 23rd, we shared with you less bells and whistles, more nuts and bolts. February 23rd, Tuesday nights at 6 p.m. Every Tuesday, we're going to be gathered together in here and we're just going to be doing corporate prayer. You say, well, how long is it going to last? I don't know. What's the schedule? Don't worry. We're going to gather together and pray. I hope you can join us on those Tuesday evenings beginning on February 23rd. And then on the last Sunday of this month, we have ordination for Jamie Riddles and Wayne Heaton. We hope you can join us for that. Uh, It'll be a great time for us as a church to commission them for gospel ministry. Now, hopefully you found the gospel of Matthew chapter 5. We'll be there in just a second. But growing up, I collected things. I think I've ceased to collect things because I have children and they collect things. And I'm a little too cheap for that. But growing up, it used to be G.I. Joe's that I was saving for a little boy that I would one day have, and I had all girls. So now when their friends that are boys, not boyfriends, but when their friends that are boys come over, they want to play with my G.I. Joe's. But they graduated from G.I. Joe's to Micro Machines. If you remember Micro Machines, it was little bitty cars. And I got married to Abby, and I realized she had a better collection than I had. Then I graduated to basketball and baseball cards, of which I finally sold when we were in Belleville to a a man who just loved baseball cards, and I think I sold them for 50 bucks, and it was $1,000 worth of stuff. I don't know. I just said, I don't want it anymore. Then I graduated to non-authentic, I noticed that non-authentic basketball jerseys. I I couldn't afford the real ones, so we got the, the, the Walmart version, which is fine. But I had all these jerseys of which I couldn't wear after a certain point because they didn't fit anymore. I mean, I went from one thing to a next. All in this pursuit of that momentary happiness that when I got that card or I got that, that jersey or I got that whatever, that it just made me a little just happy. But it soon left me whenever I realized I had that thing now and it didn't complete me. And it didn't make me feel any better than I was before. See, I think in part my pursuit of that item was way more of an experience than actually obtaining that thing. So what does that have to do with Matthew chapter 5? What if I told you today that God wants you to be happy? What if I told you today that God wants you to be happy? However, happiness is not what you think it is. And the happiness God wants you to have is often counter to the things that you thought you would find and where you would find happiness to be. You see, all of this begins in the Sermon on the Mount here. And the Sermon on the Mount is actually uh, chapters 5 through 7 of the Gospel of Matthew. But we're just going to deal all the way up to Easter, the eight Beatitudes that lead us to this point that are the introduction, if you will, to the Sermon on the Mount, the the most famous words of Jesus, where Jesus establishes what he is about and what we should be about. And it's in this text that we will see eight times in verses two through eight, and we're just gonna deal with one today, the word blessed or literally happy. 
You see, all this begins with God because you need to understand that God is divinely and eternally happy. Did you realize that? That God is just simply always happy. See, if, if, if you view God as disappointed all the time, like you just see God as a disappointing, disapproving father, then you won't bring to him your concerns because you already know his answer. He's going to be upset with you. If you think God is too busy, like some of us dads often get, if you think God is too busy, you won't go to God because you don't want to bother or interrupt his important time. Or, or if you think God is angry and waiting and looking for a chance to zap you, well, then you won't bring anything to God because the moment you bring something to him, you're going to get tasered. I don't want to be tasered, all right? This is the reality that some of us live in, but what would happen if you realized that God is divinely and eternally happy and he wants you to be happy? That's what we're going to see today in our text in Matthew chapter 5. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. We'll put it on the screen for you as well. But if you're there, will you say word? Blessed are the poor in spirit. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Now, it's amazing here that Jesus begins this way because this might be one of the more complicated and more difficult beatitudes to let our ears hear and let our minds wrestle with and let our hearts be convicted about. Because it's difficult for us to hear that, hey, happiness is found when you are without something. You see, poor here in the Bible is going to be used several ways. And for us to understand what is going on here, we've got to ask a series of questions, four particularly today. The first question is this, what does Jesus mean by poor in spirit? Now, throughout the New Testament, poor, the word poor is used two times or two ways. The first way would be what we would call ordinary poverty or being ordinarily poor. And what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is that ordinarily poor is somebody who has ability to do a task, but does not have opportunity to do the task. Just being ordinarily poor, somebody who has the ability to do a task, but not the opportunity. So think of it this way. It, it's like unemployment. You have abilities. You have, uh, you have education. You have the task. You have the skills. But you don't have the opportunity to exercise your ability. That's what we would call ordinarily impoverished or an ordinary, ordinary poverty or poor. That's one way the Bible uses the word poor. But there's a second way that the Bible will use the word poor. And this is what we would become more close to what, in fact, close, in fact, it is what Jesus is referring here. He's not referring to ordinarily poor. He's talking to a beggingly poor. A begging poor is somebody who shrinks or cowers or cringes because they don't not just have ability, they don't have it, but they also don't have opportunity. What it means is that even if they were given the opportunity to, to earn an income or to do a work, they couldn't function enough to get it done. They wouldn't be able to carry through with the task. They wouldn't be able to make it happen. They're beggarly poor. They are in a spiritual space of bankruptcy. They bring nothing to the table. Their checking account is in the red. 
They don't have the skills that you would think someone would need in order to earn an income. They come spiritually impoverished. They come spiritually broken. One who is begging poor is somebody who is completely dependent on others to accomplish any task in their life. The word here, when he says poor in spirit, is in reference to a begging poor. Somebody who is coming empty-handed. In fact, they're coming not just empty-handed, they're coming in debt. It's to see one as they really are apart from Christ. It's to see them as lost, hopeless, helpless. And you might say to me today, I'm a happy person, but can I just tell you that if you do not have a personal and saving relationship with Jesus Christ, you are not happy this is the posture when you come to God of being begging poor to say, God, I, I need your compassion. I need your mercy. I need your grace. I need your peace. I need you to do for me what I was unwilling to do for me. I have brought nothing to the table. I've not done what you've asked me to do. I've not been obedient to what you've called me to do. I've not followed through on the things I said I would do. I mean, so many of us come in on a Sunday morning and we leave going, I'm going to be different. And we get not 10 paces out the door and we've already forgotten what we said inside. We come as part of the begging poor. You need to understand that apart from God, we can do nothing. This is what he says in John 15, fine. I am the vine, you are the branches he will continue to then say, apart from me, we can do nothing apart from God. I don't meander into sin. I sprint towards it. When, when I'm apart from God, I run towards destructive thinking. My mind is corrupt and thinks about things all the wrong way. I worry about what others are thinking about me, realizing they're not thinking about me. They're thinking about themselves. I come up with all kinds of different theories or conspiracies internally about what others are saying or discussing or tweeting. Apart from God, I pursue false idols, things that I think will fill me up but only leave me more destitute than I was before. In fact, false idols lead to bondage. That's what sin does. Sin leads us to bondage. Apart from God, I come up with all kinds of curious excuses to not be with the people of God. Apart from God, I'll read everything else in the world first before I read God's word. Apart from God, I'll rely on my own strength, my own ability, even my agility, rather than his strength. And let's just get gut level honest. Apart from God, I can do nothing. Poor in spirit are those who, here it is, gladly agree with God that every good and perfect thing can only come from him. Gladly agree with him that apart from him we can do nothing. Isn't that incredible news? <laughs> Yeah, wait a minute. 
I thought you said I was going to be happy. I thought you said God wanted me to be happy, but you're telling me that apart from him, I ain't got nothing. Yeah, isn't that awesome? You, you're, you're telling me that, that apart from him, that I chase after the wrong things and do the wrong things and think the wrong things and say the wrong things and feel the wrong things and end up buying the wrong things? Yeah, isn't that awesome? The poor in spirit are the blessed ones. Isn't that what he says in verse 3? Blessed or happy are the poor in spirit. He doesn't say happy are those who are proud in spirit, happy are those who are haughty in spirit, happy are those who are hallelujah to their own selves spirit. The poor in spirit are those who gladly agree with God, what God has already declared to be true about us. The poor in spirit are those who recognize their spiritual destitution and spiritual bankruptcy and complete need and dependence on God. They see the landscape and they go, I have nothing. We don't have any savings spiritually apart from God. We are in bankruptcy. And we try to go to the bank and borrow trillions of dollars to make up the difference. This is us apart from God. Are you understanding how to be happy? The point of pouring the Spirit is simply this. Apart from God, you can do nothing. This is why. This is great news. You say, why is this great news? I thought you said God wanted me to be happy, but you're telling me that the blessed person, the happy person is the person who is poor in spirit, who is in spiritual destitution, who as Ephesians 2 says was dead in your sins, but also a child of wrath. How is that supposed to make me feel good? P preacher, make me feel good. Hey, I just deliver the news. I don't write it. It's good news and I'll tell you why. Because look what he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. When you're poor in spirit, that means you receive something, you receive the kingdom of heaven. Now, if I ask the normal Christian, we got to ask, what is the kingdom of heaven now? If I ask the normal Christian, what is the kingdom of heaven? I might get two answers. The first answer might be this, I do not know. <laughs> I don't know what the kingdom of heaven is. Uh, secondly, secondly, Somebody might say, well, the kingdom of heaven is the place we go to whenever we die. So the kingdom of heaven is something that happens way down the road whenever we have left this place and go and be with Jesus. That's what the kingdom of heaven is. And I might just challenge you a little bit, but the, the tense here in the original language is not some future place, although it is. It's actually the here and now. Theologians call this the already but not yet reality of the kingdom of God. I dare say that most of us would struggle with defining the kingdom of heaven you need to know that the kingdom of heaven does include heaven, but it includes so much more than just this one place that we get to whenever we die. There are some present realities at play right now that you inherit when you are poor in spirit. So to help understand this, I'm going to give an analogy. I know it's a little political, but I'm going to give an analogy, all right? Let's pretend that heaven is the White House. I've never been in the White House, but I have some assumptions about the White House. It's got to be one of the coolest places to live. I mean, think about it. You wake up and people are serving you 
whatever you want. You want an egg sunny side up and one scrambled? Yeah. You want crispy bacon, thick cut, center cut bacon with salt and pepper on it? Yeah. You are in heaven when you are in the White House. It's an analogy, not literal, so just work with me here. Let's say your father is the president. Wouldn't that be cool? You get all the privileges of the White House, but you don't have to do nothing. You don't got to make any decisions. You're going to be on TV. You don't have to say anything. You are just under the care of the father, right? You following me? You are in the White House, and in the White House has to be one of the safest places in the world. I mean, even now they put a fence around it. So here we are. They have this, this, okay. The reality is, is that the White House is that safe place, right? And inside you are given protection and care and, and provision. However, let's say you leave the White House. Your, your father's still in the White House, but you leave and you're within the borders of the, let's say, the, the kingdom of that president, and you, you leave, but did you know that even when you leave the White House, you still have the care and protection and provision from the Father? Like, they don't just let the kids just walk out on the streets by themselves. There are secret service for the secret service when they're watching the kids of the president. You following me? So anywhere that you go as a child, and if your father is the president who lives in the White House, you have the same care and protection as if you were the father himself. This is in part, again, I know analogies break down, but this is in part what we're getting at with the kingdom of heaven. We're going to get to the White House one day, but right now we're living within the borders of the domain of the kingdom of that White House. And we have that care, protection, and provision just as if we were already inside that White House. This is the beauty for us as those who are poor in spirit because he, there are no limits to the providence of God. There's no limits to the, a border around a nation. There's no limit to his influence. There's no limit to his providence. Even Jesus, when he comes, his first sermon, he says, the time has been fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Do not be deceived that the kingdom of heaven is just some far away place that we'll get to one day. It's a here and now reality that you can embrace and have today. But you realize that the kingdom of heaven is at war with another kingdom here on this earth. Is this not why we talk about the Kingdom of darkness versus the kingdom of light, the kingdom of hell versus the kingdom of heaven. And this shouldn't shock you because we are told that all of us have sinned. And the word all in the Greek means everybody. Like I think we read that and go, well, well not me. I, I, hmm. I mean, I've sinned, but not as bad as they have sinned. And I intended to do better, but I didn't do better. But I, I intended to do better. So obviously I'm not as bad as those, those people or them, right? And we always do this. We, we love to compare ourselves to the absolute worst person that we know. You, you go through your high school yearbook and go, well, let's look up how their life is going. We look them up and go, oh, yeah, I'm doing a lot better than they are. But the reality is, is that we have all sinned. We have all fallen short, and we are now in this competing kingdom with the kingdom of heaven. It's why, it's why the most famous verse, we put on the screen for you, the most famous verse in the Bible 
is this from John 3, 16. Why? Because there's a kingdom of darkness at work. It says, for God loves the world in this way that he sent or he gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus doesn't have to come to this earth if everything's just hunky-dory and everybody's pretty good and nobody needs to repent. But because God is holy and he cannot allow any unholy or unrighteousness in his presence, Jesus is sent to the earth on a rescue mission And the way in which God loves the world is that he sends Jesus to die in our place. We are then those who have admitted this sinfulness and then believe that only through Jesus they can be saved. They then become children of the Father. Part of the point of this famous verse is that if if everything was just fine, there would be no intervention needed to be done by Jesus. But because God is love and because God believes in justice and because God is happy, He sends Jesus in your place. This is why the only place for you to be truly happy is inside the kingdom of heaven, which can only be obtained when you are poor in spirit. In fact, Colossians 1 will say it this way. It says, for he has rescued us from what? The domain of darkness and transferred us Into the kingdom, the son he loves. In him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. When Jesus comes, he rescues us. He pulls us out of the drowning water. And I'm not talking about a kiddie pool level. I'm talking about like ocean depth water. And you think, I'm going to work my way up to the top, but you're running out of breath. And Jesus is on a rescue mission. He transfers you from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of his son, whom he loves. This is the great news of the gospel. What if I told you you could be happy? The Bible describes happiness as eternal life or new life or everlasting life or life more abundantly. So the question then begs now, how can I be happy? You humbly agree with God about your spiritual bankruptcy apart from him. You come to a place where you just get gut-level honest. I need the grace of God. I need his mercy. You don't come to God demanding, God, save me. Now. Five, four, three, three, two, one. Now. Do it. You come and say, God, I'm a man. I'm a beggar. I bring nothing. God, have mercy on me. You sent Jesus to die for me. I believe that 2,000 years ago, you made possible salvation. And here, Lord, I want to receive. I want to receive you. This is why Romans 6.23 simply says the wages, the earnings you get is death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. It is a gift he offers you. And he doesn't say, hey, clean your life up and then I'll save you. He says, no, 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 while your life is a hot mess, I am going to save you. This is great news. 
Why do you need to be poor in spirit? Two reasons why, I believe. You have to be poor in spirit because only the poor in spirit can be saved. You can't be saved with a prideful heart. You can't be saved saying, God needs me. He needs my story. He needs my talents. He needs my skills. He needs my intellect. He needs my abilities. Only the poor in spirit can be saved. Not one person can enter into the kingdom of heaven. Watch this. Not one person can enter into the kingdom of heaven unless they first come to the place where they recognize how bankrupt they are apart from him. My seven-year-old daughter yesterday came to me. We were working with her for some time about believer's baptism and salvation. And she has trusted in Christ, but we're still working slowly with her. And she said this yesterday. She said, Daddy, I'm ready to be baptized. I said, when? She said, tomorrow. She's a girl of action. I said, well, let me ask you this question. If you were in front of Jesus in heaven and you said, why? And he says to you, why should I allow you into my heaven? What would you say to him? And she said this. Oh, wow. I didn't do anything to earn it. But you gave it. If my seven-year-old gets it. You need to get it too. You can't have salvation with a haughty and prideful spirit. You humbly admit what God already knows to be true about you. You just say, I, yeah, that's me. But we like, as we get older, to deny things. We're really good at it. Uh, do you have any food in your bedroom? No. Then why do I see a little army marching across the windowsill, down the thing, the wall, and over to your desk? And when I pull open your desk, I see Reese's Pieces. <laughs> I have food in my room, right? This is what we do. We don't admit to things until we get caught. The poor in spirit rightly say, I, 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 I did this. I'm a sinner in need of your grace. And there's no degree you can earn, to, and there's no skills you can learn to get you one millisecond of more time before the Father. You come to God begging poor. Romans 10, 13 so, though, says, everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the great hope of the gospel. That if you call upon his name, you've admitted your sin, you believe that only through Jesus you can be saved, and then you confess him as Lord. He says, you're my child, and now that you're my child, you get all the rights and privileges as if you were already living in the White House. Isn't that good news? Happy are those who are poor in spirit. By the way, only the poor in spirit can grow. You cannot grow in the grace of the Lord if you have a prideful spirit. You cannot grow in the grace of the Lord if you think you've got all the answers. You, you cannot grow in the Lord Apart from humility. And the opposite of somebody who's poor in spirit is the prideful in spirit. Jesus is talking to his disciples one day and he says this in Matthew 18. He says, he says, truly I tell you, unless you turn and become like one of these, he's talking about children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You, you see, the, the Christian life is, is different than the natural life. The, the Christian life 
is different than the natural life. The, the natural life is you are born. If you didn't know that, congratulations. You're born and you are dependent on virtually and literally everyone else but yourself. You gotta have somebody else change your diapers to feed you, change your diapers, and then feed you, and then help you go to sleep. Because even babies struggle sometimes to go, to go to sleep. I speak out of experience. And this is the pattern. But, but at some point, right, your children begin to get potty trained. Yes. Right? They, they then begin to eat on their own. You don't have to, right? Land the plane, right? We're not going to do that with our teenagers. If you're, if, well. You, you, you grow up in the natural world, right? They begin to drive. And then one day, by the grace of God, they drive away. And the only time they return is to bring grandkids. And then they leave. But that's different than the Christian life. See, the natural life, you go from utter dependence to independence. But the Christian life is to help you transfer from independence to utter dependence. And we are at war with those two natures constantly. The Christian life is the opposite. When we're born again, we leave a life of independence and we become dependent upon God for our everything. We begin to recognize our spiritual poverty on a deeper and deeper level. We begin to see how much we were in need of God before we ever realized how much in need of God we were over and over and over again. And what is ironic about growth is that growth is not possible. I don't think growth is not possible apart from trials. And as the Western church, we often try to avoid trials. Safety, 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 safety is our idol. The poor in spirit have to realize that the doorway to salvation and the pathway to sanctification is through becoming poor in spirit. The poor in spirit are the ones that are happy. They recognize how much grace God has shown to them and given to them. And let's just say that God wants you to be happy. But that happiness looks drastically different than the happiness you've been pursuing all your life. And some of you in this room have been pursuing a, a way of happiness that has left you empty over and over again. You've been pouring water into a bucket, trying to get it full, but it has holes underneath. And the only way for those holes to be plugged is not for you to plug the holes, but for you to get a whole new bucket. And that bucket is Jesus Christ. You get the kingdom of heaven, and you're going to be tempted to think that it all came about because of how impressive you are. That's what happens but the, those that are blessed are those who have humbly submitted themselves, agreed with God their desperate need for him to intervene. And God, by his grace, does exactly that. He says it so clearly in Ephesians chapter 2. You were by nature a child of wrath, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with him. It just requires you to admit and agree with God what has already been said true about you. 
And then you believe that only through Jesus you can be saved. Not through your good works, not through your efforts, not through your good intentions. You just believe that through Jesus you can be saved. You can confess him as Lord and Savior. And God, by his grace, saves you and gives you the kingdom of heaven. And from that, you are happy. If you are not a Christian, our call for you right now is for you to respond to the invitation. We, we are inviting you, what only God can do, we are inviting you to respond to God's call. But then secondly, if you are a Christian, my encouragement to you is that you just take a minute today and you, you say, God, I want to walk humbly. I want to be aware of your movement in my life. I want to stay close to you, Jesus. I want to pray and read your word and then apply what you have said. God wants you to be happy. But the only way to happiness is being poor in spirit. For those who do so, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Will you pray with me? Father, we come to you now, and Lord, we know that you're going to deal with each of us differently, but God, we're asking that even now, even now, you would help us to respond. Those who are here that need to respond to you in salvation, maybe they're online right now, they need to pray with somebody, that Father, they would be so willing to do so right now. Maybe there's somebody here today that just needs to call to you to say, Father, I, I've been boastful in my spirit, but I want to be poor in spirit. Lord, help me. Maybe they need to come and pray that. So, Father, by the Holy Spirit, would you begin to work on their hearts? You've already been working on it for some time. And, Father, we sang a song earlier that Jesus, only Jesus, but I, I wonder for how many of us it's been Jesus plus some other things. So, Father, convict our hearts where we've allowed other things to take the seat where only you can sit. We ask that you move in this place and in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. The, the front will be open for you if you want to come and pray. If you want to talk with somebody about what salvation means, if you're online, you can do that. We'll connect with you. If you're here, we'll have a counselor to talk with you about salvation. But you respond as God leads you today. Would you stand and you do as God has called you to do?